So, uh, before you start, yeah. I do have to open the meeting. This is a little form. Yeah. If you don't mind, just a little please. please. Uh, first off, thank you everybody for coming tonight. Um, I will officially open this meeting of the Dale Street School Building Committee. Uh, pursuant to Governor Baker's March 12, 2020 order suspending certain provisions of the open meeting law, general law chapter 38. What's that? I, I've just been reading it for the okay. sake of <laughs> making sure we don't get in trouble. Huh? There is a remote component. Yes, there is a remote component. Sorry, so uh, pursuant to Governor Baker's March 12, 2020 order suspending certain provisions of the open meeting law, general law chapter 30A, section 18, and the governor's March 15, 2020 order imposing strict limitations on the number of people that may gather in one place. Meeting in the Medfield Dale Street School Building Committee is being conducted by a hybrid, really, remote participation and in person. Um, In-person attendance of the members of the public will be permitted, but every effort also will be made to ensure that the public can adequately access the proceedings as provided for in the order. A reminder that persons who would like to listen or view this meeting while in progress may do so by following the instructions on the agenda and meeting notice, um, and also to note that order was extended through April of next year. So obviously we're a bit more of a hybrid with some in-person, so it's good to see everybody's at least partial faces. Um, and um, so thank you all for coming tonight, and uh, Dr. Marsden is going to kick us off. Uh, thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, for coming this evening. My name is Jeff Marsden. I'm the superintendent of schools. Uh, this is our last community forum prior to the uh, town meeting on November 7th and then the election on the 15th. Tonight, we're going to do a short presentation and go over a few things and then, and then have plenty of time for answers, uh, for any questions and answers. And we hope that you learn something tonight and please stay engaged and be a part of the process. So thank you. I'd let, go ahead. Sorry, um, the people on, oh, they can hear now. They can hear now? Okay, okay. great. Um, as we get started with the presentation, I'd like to ask Steve Brenham, principal of the Dale Street School, and Holly Cofield, who is principal of the Wheelock School, to come up. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, as Jeff said, my name is Steve Brenham, and I'm the principal of the Dale Street School. And I'm Holly Caulfield, I'm the principal of the Wheelock Elementary School. And tonight, we just wanted to take a few minutes just to highlight some of the educational benefits of having a four and five building alongside a two and three, and to make that a two through five campus. So as you can see on the screen, and you can probably see it a little better than we can, a little farther away, this is a rendering of, of what it will look like from an aerial view. And a couple things that Holly and I want to talk about, because we've talked about this over the last couple months, is the importance in the opportunities that will come out of a two through five opportunity. So I think every time that we talk, and we talk as an administrative group or with teachers, we always start with students. Everything should be centered around students. So one of the first things we looked at is the possibilities in and around transitions. Uh, two years ago, one of my first years here, Dr. Myerson had sent up a survey looking at the groupings of school and having children travel um, as a whole group, grade by grade. And there was a positive feedback to Dr. Marathon that that was something that the families wanted to stick with. So we try to honor that, but we also know having students moving from building to building, whether it's Memorial to Wheelock or Wheelock to Dale, the transitions can be very challenging for some of our students. So one of the things that we realize here is that it's going to make it a lot easier for students to transition from building to building, seeing they're going to be on the same campus for four years. 
Not only that, but there's going to be built-in experiences or kind where the students at Wheelock will be able to get over to the new elementary school, which will make it a lot easier for them to transition from grade three through grade four. Right now, we really try to do the best that we can, and we have the students over at the beginning of the school year. We also, both Holly and I, meet with students uh, all throughout the summer to take them on tours of our current building so that we can lessen the anxiety or stress that students have coming in. And that is a great opportunity. We love seeing the kids and, and love seeing the families. But we just believe that having this two to five campus at the Wheelock site would lessen the stress and anxiety, not only of all of our students, but the families as well, knowing that they're going to be quite familiar with the site. We just make it a much more fluid um, transition. So students would have the opportunity to go over to the Dale Street School for things such as putting on school performances or visiting the school library. So we just feel that having both schools on the same campus is just much um, a much smoother transition for our students. One of the other things we look at, and you can see up on the drawing, is that the outdoor learning space. One of the things that went into our educational plan was the importance of outdoor learning. This was really highlighted, uh, and it was actually a silver lining of the pandemic. The teachers at Dale Street and both in Wheelock and Memorial, for that matter, do an unbelievable job of getting kids outside. We realized hands-on, keeping them active is the best way to have students learn. I understand it was when I was in school or maybe when Holly was in school that this isn't something maybe that we participated in. But as we've done more research and we have different style of kids coming through each year, we realize that this is going to give them the best access and the best opportunity to learn. So when you think about the outdoor spaces that provided to us at the Wheelock campus, we have all things from the Victory Garden, which they currently have, but this would provide students an opportunity to be involved two through five at the Victory Garden. I hear a lot about it at Dale Street and so on for fourth grade teachers about things that they do in grades two and three. It also has a walking classroom. So you can see up in this picture over here and the cursor is going around. And this walking classroom can be used for a variety of reasons. We have a walking classroom grant funded kits that our teachers use to start and end lessons with. We also have opportunities for our PE students who currently right now at Dale Street are running over by the pillars and they go out and around and they're very close to the street, which is very nerve wracking to teachers and principal um, alike. And I think the other thing is the outdoor learning is really important because right now, especially the science standards at grades four and five are heavily related to the outside world. So even this year, for example, I've seen classrooms in grade five going outside studying the shadows. I see our grade four talking about the landform. And they really try to get outside, do these experiments, put the kids in a hands-on experience, which is really great for them. We do the best we can right now with what we have, but it is a tight fit. We don't have much room between the existing Dale Street and the school that's there. And again, we do have the field between the Dale Street and Memorial, but that is oftentimes used for recess PE classes between both Dale Street students and Memorial. And so if you can um, see in the drawing, the Victory Garden would be relocated from its current spot at, at Wheelock School to right in between the two buildings. So currently our second and third graders do use do plant and harvest the Victory Garden each year, but this would just give them more opportunity to use it and it could be a two through five experience. Also, the location would be better for um, students to be able to go into the garden on a regular basis. Right now it's sort of set aside and we wouldn't send students out there by themselves. Um, 
so we could have it more of like the student-centered garden in between the, the two buildings. Um, and the walking um, classroom, we love students to benefit from that as well. So that to me is just super exciting and um, you know another benefit of having both schools on one campus. One more highlight I'd like to make it, especially centered around students, is the shared spaces. And, and Holly referenced them earlier, but I think about something like an OT, occupational therapist, or PT, physical therapist rooms and state-of-the-art, and having the proximity close to the 2-3 school would allow the WeWalk students who get the, or receive those services from a shared teacher, which Holly and I both share a teacher between the two schools uh, in and around those um, needs of students. So we want students to come right over and have state-of-the-art equipment to work with. And right now, that would be really challenging to do at Beale Street because sometimes a fifth grader and what the fifth graders need would be slightly different than what a kindergarten or first grader needed. But if you are a third grade student or a fourth grade student, a lot of times they would be using the same materials, the same resources, and just being able to um, have, give that opportunity, not only the four and five students, but the two and three students is just really a, a great thing to think about. The other spots around the school is that we will have a, a great size gymnasium. We're going to have the learning stair. If you haven't seen it, you'll be able to see it later in the slideshows. And also a, a cafetorium. So Holly and I have already been in conversations where if they're going to have any type of course content or they're doing something special in PE or, or, or anything like that, they can always use the building. And again, for them to walk over just a few feet um, would just be very, very um, great to have that available and a great opportunity as well. So currently at Relock, we do have a cafetorium. However, the stage is not useful. Um, it's actually being used as storage right now. So um, there really isn't an opportunity for students to do class presentations or poetry readings as a whole class with an audience. Also, the area in the cafeteria does not is not suited for really having an audience to be able to sit comfortably. We don't have enough seating. So this would really provide an opportunity for us to do um, more presentations and, and work on student presentation skills. So um, that sounds amazing to me. One of the other things, and, and it's definitely not mutually exclusive, is, is talking about the staff. And one of the things we really pride ourselves in, and one of the four values of Dale Street is collaboration. And we think about how nice it would be to have the proximity of the Wheelock School and the New Elementary School side by side to enhance and make it a robust collaboration between the two through five teachers. I'll give a perfect example is about two weeks into September, I was sitting with a teacher who was having some trouble with a student and they wanted to get more information about the student. Well, this teacher ended up speaking to a Wheelock uh, teacher for about an hour and a half on the phone. That's what the teachers do here in Midfield and they're absolutely incredible. I think, though, however, if they were able to at lunchtime share a lunchtime and walk over and be face to face, how great that would be to, to know about the student, what works for the student, and start them up on an upward trajectory moving forward from grades three to four, or even a second grade teacher that might have had success with a student. Just a real, real life example that just happened a couple of weeks ago. Really proud of our teachers that take the time after school in the evening. But I think that if they have that opportunity to collaborate in and about students, not to mention the curriculum, which much of it is written in the mass frameworks of three through five, would be an awesome opportunity in just a quick step that they could go over during their special time or their planning time and or during lunch. And another um, an unintended bonus of, of um, the pandemic is our, we did a lot of cross meetings with our grade level leaders with um, different um, 
groups of teachers met together by the Zoom, obviously, but it really was very helpful to have everyone on the same page. Having the proximity of Dale Street where we could get together in person on a regular basis, I think would just benefit all of our staff um, as far as getting instruction for our students. And if you look up in the uh, top right corner of uh, the renderings that are up there, it's awesome because you're actually in the back of Weedlock looking towards the new elementary school. And you think about that path, and one of the things we talk about with teachers is just shared resources. And we talk about shared resources here where you could have a Weedlock teacher heading right over, walking through that path, right into our uh, LMC or our library media center, which would be awesome. In our library media center, we're going to have books of all levels but we also will have a maker space. So for them to be able to use, you know, things that we call like ProBots and OzoBots that our wonderful PTO and MCPE has funded, it's just another way to have kids have great hands-on materials. And I think that there are certain kinds of different programming that we use that the fourth grade teachers might be needing some information or text, I should say, from the WeWalk teachers. And again, our inter-office mail is fantastic and it comes pretty quickly but it couldn't be done at the same speed as if they walk right next door to get some of those resources. And just to reiterate, it, the, the bonus of that is far more children are going to benefit from these grants, from these resources, from these materials, simply because of the location of the building. And I think the last thing that I would like to highlight is that having the buildings right next to each other in just a two-second walk across opens up some unbelievable availability for programming. So when we talk with Dr. Morrison or Mary Brewer, our Director of Special Education Student Services, we've already started kind of batting around some different ideas that we could have in and around programming. And to have this, these schools be this close together would be absolutely incredible. And it just opens up a different world and things that we didn't ever think were possible, but could really help you know, a lot of different departments, one being the Special Education Department. And when we talk about that, we, the transitions for, for most students um, can be a little bit challenging, but a student with significant special needs, those challenges are just that much more. So if we are able to lessen that and find programming that they could be part of from second through fifth grade um, in either one of the buildings, I think that would benefit our students greatly. And again, just on behalf of Paulie and I, we just want to thank everybody who made special time to come out tonight. I know some people couldn't get here in person and they're on Zoom, but just really want to say thank you to everybody. And I can't express how proud I am to be a part of this project. It seems like it's been going for just about three years now, and I'm just very proud of the educational plan that was written. Um, that was also highlighted by the MSDA as a model plan, and I really take, give great credit to the school building committee that realized this plan was the right plan for the kids of Medfield. And then they decided once that was done to look for an environment for it to best sit. So just really proud of that. and want to thank the school building committee for all the time they've had through their meetings as well. And I'd just like to echo what Steve said. Another benefit for us is um, right now we have a parking lot that is in dire need of repair. And that is part of the plan to update that. And parking at Wheelock can be tight, especially if we have any events or parents are invited. So again, I think that's, Sort of solving and the idea of having the buses all the buses come through to pick up two school uh worth schools worth of kids it really is uh, an exciting piece for us thank you again yeah. oh, okay great oh, well, i'm sorry i just thought you were doing a transition 
Oh yeah, yes, the MSPA process. But before we go into into the process, I just wanted to note um, that you know tonight is very high level about that. But our first statement of interest was in 2012 uh, for a new school because this is. Sorry, can you hear me? Thank you. Sorry about that. Um, so the, this is a new school has been on the radar for a school committee for a very long time. In 2012, my son, um, I think that was the first statement of interest, who was in kindergarten. And the rumor in town amongst all the kindergarten parents was that our kids were going to be in a brand new Dale Street school. He's now an eighth grader. So um, it hasn't happened. I think this is we have a wonderful opportunity. Our second statement of interest was in 2016, and then we finally got approved in 2017. So I just wanted to give that kind of um, that add that timeline to what you're just about to present, Mike. Thank you. Okay. Um, so we tried. Um, and it's, it's extremely challenging. But we tried to sort of simplify what the MSBIA process is. It's, it's a very um, diligent process. It's a process that ensures that um, the millions of dollars that the, uh, the MSBIA, the state fund projects uh, all over the Commonwealth for are, are thoughtful, that they've addressed everything that they need to address, that they've investigated every aspect possible of a school project. Um, and that's why it takes a long time. Um, it, it takes a long time to get in first because there's a lot of competition uh, for those funds. It's a very competitive process as there are many municipalities that uh, have aging schools that they need uh, to be addressed, which is why Zanna May alluded to. Um, it took us um, just about five years from our initial application to when we were finally accepted into the program. Um, once into the program, this slide here just kind of gives you a brief outline of, of the different modules that the MSBA uses. Eligibility is, is sort of the initial phase, and it has to do with just um, really kind of making sure everything is defined on what the, the scope of the project is, what the exploration will be. Um, and then a team is formed, and that includes hiring uh, first an owner's project manager, um, in our case, left field, and then we embark on a process of selecting um, an architect and design team. Um, and for us, that's Arrow Street and their uh, consultants that they bring along with them. Um, so that process uh, took us from the end of 2017 through uh, just about the end of 2018. So that takes about a year to get through uh, module one and module two. Module three is then the feasibility study. Um, and that sort of overlaps with uh, schematic design. And that's sort of the preliminary stages of design. Starts off with uh, visioning sessions that we started back in late 2018 uh, and early 2019, uh, where we really defined the problem. We talked with the community about what the goals for the project would be. Um, we talked with the teachers, the, the staff uh, from the school, the administration. Um, and really put forth a, a visioning process that culminated in developing what's called an educational plan, which is really kind of the, the foundation for the project as everything throughout the MSBA process refers back to the, the educational plan to ensure that we are constantly going back and looking at, does this meet the goals that we set forth at the beginning of the project? Um, so 
the feasibility study process got us through the visioning, the educational plan, and then we started evaluating um, the project and, and where it might go in town. We evaluated multiple sites um, throughout town that could accommodate a school. Uh, we narrowed those down based on um, a site that was large enough to handle the school, uh, town-owned property that wasn't constricted by any sort of legal uh, restrictions um, and some other criteria. That brought us down to about six sites. It became quickly apparent that there were really only two sites that were truly viable. That was the existing Dale Street School site and the uh, existing Wheelock School site. So uh, we went through a, a lengthy process of uh, site evaluation um, through uh, the beginning, starting from the beginning of uh, 2020 through uh, the fall of 2020, and ultimately ended up with the uh, the wheel lock uh, location as the the best solution in our mind. We uh, initially started off with many different options. Um, we started with multiple grade configurations. Of, if you may remember that. Uh, we were evaluating doing a three grade school. Um, when COVID hit, uh, the SPC and school committee determined um, it was biting off more than this town could chew. And so we decided that uh, we would stick with just replacement of the existing four to five school. So we are trying to be, definitely trying to be cost conscious. We are trying to make the best decision. Um, we are not trying to present an option that is the cheapest option, we're trying to present the best option. And that's, I think, something that we take seriously um, on the school building committee. Um, and so once we made that selection, we moved into what's called schematic design. Schematic design um, basically is uh, the preliminary, now that we've selected a site and an option on a conceptual basis, we start to drill down a little bit more into the details of spaces relate to each other in the building, how the building sits on the site, how it relates to the other buildings on the site, in this case, the Wheelock School. Um, we evaluate all of the systems that go in the building. We did an extensive study on um, pursuing net zero, which for those who aren't familiar is basically um, producing, a, having a building that has very minimal energy use. And then that, that energy that is consumed is then um, uh, powered by a renewable source. In this case, it would be photovoltaic panels. And ultimately, the goal is to get to a point where those panels are producing enough electricity to support the building. So all the power that the building needs is being provided directly on the site. Um, we looked at uh, the site in general, how it would lay out, both from a parking perspective, the buses we've talked about. Um, and then uh, we got into a little bit more detail. That process then culminated with a final budget estimate where we looked at, um, we initially got a budget back that the SBC wasn't comfortable with. We felt it was too high. We went back to the architects. They gave us a couple, couple hundred options of, uh, of ways to cut costs without cutting program. Um, and that is something that we took very seriously. Um, the goal here was not to make this school not function. We just wanted to, make sure that it was an efficient building, that it was, that we weren't being wasteful with money. Um, and so we got to a point where we approved our budget uh, recently, and then we proceed with presenting it to the town. And uh, so that process will culminate in two votes, uh, November 7th with a special town meeting, which requires a two thirds supermajority 
and then a ballot vote, special ballot election on November 15th, which requires just a simple majority. Um, this, just to be clear, they both need to be approved. Both need to pass in order for this to proceed. If one passes and the other doesn't, then we have to reevaluate where we stand. If they both fail, then we're definitely going to reevaluate where we stand on everything, and we'll have to figure out how we move forward. Um, but that is the sort of the point where we are tonight. We're here to answer questions, make sure that all voters are as informed as possible going into this vital decision. Um, and then if it does get approved, the uh, process, the modules on the right, you'll see on the slide are how our next steps would lay out. Um, if, if we are approved by the town, we've been approved by the MSBA this Wednesday, uh, yesterday, excuse me. Um, so they have approved the project. And if the town approves, we will enter what's called a project funding agreement, which outlines what exactly our commitments are to them and vice versa and uh, financial uh, implications of all of that. Uh, the design team, as much as they've been a great assistance to us, will all of a sudden have to put the gas pedal down even more as we will enter detailed design um, to really get the um, project to a point where we can uh, bid the job and get it built. Um, we will also immediately enter into a process of selecting a construction manager to build the project, um, which would likely start in January <laughs> if this project gets approved. If all of that goes well and uh, and we still remain on budget, which we I expect we will, um, one way or another, we will uh, open this school in 2024, in September of 2024. And so over the, the course of that summer, we will move the school from Dale to the to the Wheelock site, and uh, kids will be given an opportunity to start learning in this building um, in September of 2024, and then. There's a whole process that I won't bore you with called closeout, which basically just ensures that um, the project um, has been built the way it should and is functioning the way it should. And we tie up all our legal loose ends and all of that stuff. And um, the MSBA you know, requires a review uh, well after construction um, to ensure that uh, we've met all our commitments. So that in essence is the process. I think the next thing we have up is uh, the budget. What was that, Jeff? Um, so, so this is our proposed budget. This is uh, basically a not to exceed. This is a maximum amount that we are projecting to spend, um, not a not a minimum. <laughs> um, so. Our total project budget is 81,893,664. We would receive a, a maximum total facilities grant of 90, roughly 19.6 million. And the reason it's maximum is because there are some things um, that um, are unknown at this time that may come up and we pay for those out of contingencies. We put a bucket of money aside at this stage to be able to pay for unknowns well, the, the design is really 25% done. Um, so we have to account for the remainder of the design, time, all of these things, and um, things that we may just find when we put shovels in the ground. And so um, some of that stuff is reimbursable by the MSBA, some is not, which is why um, this shows a maximum grant. I believe 
the minimum grant would be around 19.1 or something like that. So it's not as if, you know, we're only going to get 15 from the state and our town share is going to go up drastically. It's not like anything like that. So right now with that, our, we're projecting our maximum town share would be 62,293,669. So while we'll, we'll be voting on um, November 7th and November 15th, well, actually it's not on the November 15th ballot, but the amount will be on the November 7th warrant is we're voting to approve a budget that's 80,893,664. The reason it's a million less than our total budget is because we've already appropriated a million dollars for the feasibility study, which we've used to get to this point here tonight. So while we're approving that number, it doesn't mean we're going to spend that number it means that um, we have to approve the whole amount. The MSBA is obviously going to reimburse us the 19 million or so. So we will only be borrowing our share, which would be 63 million. Next slide. So we always want to take a look back at um, how this, how we compare. What are what are other towns doing? What are similar projects doing? You know, I. I can't tell you how many times I've heard the, the word Taj Mahal thrown around on, on things when, um, and maybe justified in some cases, but in our opinion, not on this one. Um, we looked at, and um, a lot of these projects are in um, our office, Tim and I uh, work for Compass Project Management and we manage MSBA projects all across the Commonwealth. And um, the majority of these projects here are in our office with a couple of exceptions. But these are all relatively um, similar projects. And so it gives us a gauge of where we stand relative to what other towns are doing. Um, some of these projects are already in construction. So we have to look at that and make sure we're comparing $20, $20 versus what we're gonna be spending, which is $20, $22. Um, and then you look at the enrollments, You know, some of these go up to like Andover is 925 kids. Whereas the Wellesley projects are both 365. So there's a, there's a big gap there in terms of enrollment. So we wanna look at those. Um, they're all very similar in that they are all pursuing net zero or net zero ready buildings. Elementary schools in particular are really, in my opinion, leading the way in this effort. Um, so these are all similar in that respect. And then um, looking at um, how, how, how much our budget is, and how that relates to, you know, in our industry, it's cost per square foot, but also um, what we're also looking at closely is a cost per student, because ultimately that's a measure of how efficient we're being with our money is for every kid, that every seat for a, a child um, is worth, you know, X amount of dollars in, in construction cost. And, and what does that mean? And how do we compare? And uh, basically, when you look at this, we are actually uh, one of the lowest. Um, Acton, Boxborough, and Ashland are lower, but uh, they are both ahead of us in the, in the process uh, by um, Acton, Boxborough by two years and uh, Ashland by a year. So if you factor in inflation, we're right there with both of those schools. Um, but it gives you a frame of reference uh, of where we stand at about $112,000 per student, uh, where other projects like Westwood, which is a very similar project to this, 560 kids, um, they are uh, almost 20,000 square feet more than ours. So their cost per student is up around 125,000 uh, 
$12,000 more per student than, than ours. Uh, but Westwood, Ashland, like these are all very similar communities. They're not all, there's no such thing as an exact comparison. Every project's gonna be different. Um, choices about sites, choices about um, um, things like Westwood is actually consolidating two schools into one. Um, so those types of things are, are always part of the comparison, but it gives you just a general frame of reference. And the fact is we compare very well and very efficiently to other towns. And I actually did another evaluation on um, efficiency because I thought it was important. And I looked at the square feet per student, which is another factor of efficiency is how much square feet are we, spend, are we putting in a building per student? And out of all of these projects, um, only Ashland was lower at 165 square feet per student. Medfield is at 166, so maybe we can cut a couple of squares just to, just to beat Ashland. Um, I'm sure Jim Adams would, would love that. Um, but um, the only other ones that, that are close are uh, Westboro was at 175, Acton Boxboro is at 176, and all the other uh, ones, all the other elementary schools on this are over 200 square feet per student. So you can see we've been very um, cautious not to add square footage we want to keep this very efficient building for the town and make solid decisions about where we spend our money uh, yeah thank you okay so uh the question of the day or the, the month the year uh, how much is this going to cost me um i get that all the time um the current borrowing scenario that I think is most likely, I've only included the most likely one here. It hasn't officially been voted on. Uh, there is an option on the table to do a shorter bond, but the, I think the, the preferred scenario is a 30 year bond with a level principal payment, which basically means we pay the same amount of principal each month or each year. And the, the amount of interest obviously goes down as that principal goes down. So it's a descending bill, let's say every year, as opposed to um, if you think about your mortgage, which is basically set up to be an equal payment, you start off paying more interest and less equity or principal. And then over time, you're paying less interest and more principal to your mortgage. Um, so the, our bond advisors have stated that uh, we, they projected an interest rate of 2.25%. Um, we did just bond the water treatment plant project and we got uh, 1.46%. That's on a shorter bond, but um, we may actually get below that if we can get to market quick, because um, bond uh, bond rates are slated to go up, are projected to go up. So we want to make sure if it does get approved, we borrow right away. So the average assessed value in Medfield is $692,000 for, uh, for the average home. Um, and so if we look at, at the, the valuation here, um, the tax, increase would be $1.23 per thousand in this scenario um, and in the first year. So the first year increase would be for that particular home would be $852 and it would taper every year to year 30 where it would be $520 in that 30th year. So an average over the life of that 30 year bond would be $686 for that particular house. Obviously, if your house is worth half a million, you're paying less. Your house is worth a million, you're going to pay more. But if you use the dollar 23 per thousand, you can pretty easily um, compare that with your assessed value and sort of see where uh, the increase will come. Mike, I think. 
Just on our website, if you go to www.medfield.net, go on explore and then hit new elementary school, there's a widget on there that allows you to put in what your home's value is. It'll tell you exactly what the first year taxes will be. Thanks, Jeff. Um, this, will be, this will be partially offset um, by some debt that's rolling off our books in the coming years, in the next couple of years. Um, obviously, it's been um, 20 years since our last major school project, um, as um, Tim can attest to. Uh, and so that debt, that debt will be rolling off our books. That was done on a 20-year bond. And so approximately $117, again, if your house is valued at $692, that will be uh, coming off. So that $852 uh, increase, $852 per year increase will be offset by $117, um, certainly uh, by, I think it's year two or year three. Um, so there is some mitigation. It's obviously not all of it. We fully recognize that, but every little bit helps. Thank you. All right, so process again, um, special town meeting, Sunday, November 7th, starting at noon. Um, I encourage everyone to uh, uh, watch the all the Warren Committee videos, but in particular, there was one uh, this week where they met with Scott uh, McDermott, our moderator, and he went through in detail the process. Um, it'll registration will open at 11. It'll be in the high school. Um, there will be the main uh, venue will be the gym, but there will be other uh, venues that will spill over, including this room, um, the library, the cafeteria, and I believe an outdoor location. And um, the difference between this and a, a normal one of the major differences between this and a normal uh, town meeting is we will be doing a uh, private uh, vote card as opposed to a raise your hand or a standing count, which we've done in the past. So there will be, once Scott opens the meeting with a quorum after 12 o'clock, there will be um, some you know normal legal rigmarole and <laughs> the warrant committee, I imagine will be making a motion um, if they don't, then the school building committee will make a motion. And then um, there will be a brief presentation, probably about uh, 12 to 15 minutes from, uh, from yours truly and, and uh, Jeff Marsden as well. And then there will be opportunities for uh, people to speak. Um, there will be time given to the school committee. There will be time given to uh, both of the, the, the ballot um, initiatives, I, I forget the term for them, but they're the ones that are for the school and the ones that are against the school will both be given time to speak. And then the microphones will be open to any resident uh, that is a proponent or an opponent to speak. Um, they will be given, Scott will make the decision on, on how far he lets that go. Um, as long as there is new information coming or, or he feels that people should continue to be heard that he will keep uh, keep the microphones open. Um, but if it's just the same kind of statements over and over again, eventually he will um, stop uh, that and, it will, and we will move to a vote. The vote uh, will not be called before 1.30. So the 1.30 is the earliest that it won't, that it will be called. Um, but there is 
if he decides to let discussion continue, then discussion will continue beyond 1.30 before a vote is called. Once a vote is called, anyone present will be able to have a vote. Anyone not present at that time and registered will not be able to have a vote. Uh, the, once the vote is called, people will be asked at their different venues to come up to tables that will be set up with people who will um, basically, based on however you want to vote, give you a yes card or a no card, and you'll put it in a box, and those boxes eventually, once we get through it, will be taken to some location, undisclosed location, and, and counted. Um, and uh, I understand he's putting observers in place and all this other uh, stuff to ensure that the counts are accurate. Uh, the, what that does do is it does give us an accurate count. There's been times in the past when people have questioned, you know, just was my hand counted correctly when I raised it or I was sitting down and I should have been standing up. And so this is at the very least, this gives us a clear picture of the yeses and the noes and it's recordable. Um, we will have it as a record. Um, so it, it can't be really challenged in that regard. So ultimately, again, town meeting, we need two thirds, anything less than two thirds um, and it will fail. And then uh, subsequent to that, on Monday, November 15th, there will be a, um, a special ballot at the senior center. And that's sort of standard. You go in between eight and six, you check yes, you check no, and then you hand it in, whichever you prefer. And um, that only needs to be a simple majority in order for it to pass. Um, there are lots of options on, on what happens after that. If, one passes and one doesn't. One, um, if they don't both fail, if they both succeed, obviously we proceed. That's probably the simplest one. Um, but if if there isn't a pass uh, passing vote on both of them, um, then we'll have to decide how we move forward. There is the possibility of revoting the same project uh, within 120 days. The MSPA does allow that, uh, so that would have to be evaluated. If for some reason one of those did not pass. Um, so I think that was most of what I wanted to touch on for next steps. Anybody on the committee want to chime in on anything, add to anything, anything that I missed there? Oh, I didn't think I would say about timing. <clears throat> I mean, about logistics here, you talked about the 130 deadline or, or time frame to call the vote is people should probably be there earlier just because it could literally be called at 1 30 i assume so and there is some logistics in getting into town meeting you know, obviously anytime so i would try to get there i wouldn't time it right at the last minute yeah so my understanding is that once scott does call the vote that the register like the, i think chief red is helping out or something like there will be people put at the end of the line so people that are in line when the vote is called will be allowed to register and come in the way I understand it. Um, but anyone that is not there yet, once the vote is called, will not be allowed to register and come. So, so that's what I had for this evening, but that wasn't the real goal of this evening. I mean, we are trying to spread information as much as possible, but uh, we also are here to hear from all of you. Um, this is an incredibly complex project, so I'm sure there are lots of questions out there. Um, we hope to answer as many as we can. Um, and really, this is the last opportunity for us to do that. 
before the town meeting. So um, with that, I'll open up the microphone for um, with the microphone over here for questions, comments, um, anything that you'd like us to address before town meeting, whether it's your thoughts or someone else's that you want to get clarified. Um, and we've got some questions on Zoom. Oh, right. We could start with that if, um, okay. since nobody's at the microphone. Great. Um, so this is from Teresa James. She says, is there a way to go between the buildings to oh, the microphone? Oh, you need the microphone. Oh, yeah. Oh, microphones. Yeah, great. So this one's from Teresa James. Is there a way to go between the buildings to the shared resources without going outside, thinking about inclement weather? So uh, the answer is no, currently, as part of the design. Part of the complication is if we are physically attaching to the Wheelock School, we would need to do upgrades to that school as well, and that would get expensive real quick. So um, we are not physically attaching them. Um, it doesn't mean that we couldn't explore that in the future if it was something that made sense, but um, I think our, our other option right now is to provide umbrellas at each door. <laughs> <laughs> Old school, yeah. all right. Um, there's another question from Jenny Kine. Uh, is it Kine or Kine? Sorry. I think it's Kim. I don't know. Sorry, Jenny, you're going to have to tell me someday. Um, do you know approximately how much open space is actually being taken if the building is built at the Wheelock campus? And thank you for all your, uh, thank you so much for all your hard work, Jenny. Tina, do you remember the, the building part? footprint itself? The building footprint, and and I'm assuming like a lot of people want to talk about the parking as well, but I, I believe it was a neighborhood of four acres, if I remember correctly. That's correct. It, it's under five acres total in terms of impervious. Um, the building footprint itself is um, under 70,000 square feet. So 70,000 square feet is just less than two acres for the building footprint itself. And then there's some parking that would bump it up uh, to about four, I believe, or just over four. That's it. Another person had entered a lot of questions that he would like to resend all those questions. So. Anyone else? Oh, and uh, please state your name and address if you can. Laurel Scotty, Temperance Street. I don't have a question. I cannot make the town meeting. So I just wanted to thank the stream team. And I think we should all give them a round of applause for volunteering four years with the Exo teams. The case of Dr. Mayfield received an MSDA approval for the plan submitted for the new school to be located at Uwak. We could not have done this without you. And with the support of our state representatives, state senator, and congressman. Everyone knows doctors should not diagnose themselves, attorneys not represent themselves, and we should not di diagnose or treat ourselves via internet sites. Do not be swayed by internet surfers who are trying to di diagnose this project without the professional training and expertise that you people have. Knowing this, the town of Medfield formed a committee of 14 qualified professionals who volunteered their time. The committee chair with me who's a licensed architect with 25 years of experience, a president of project management specializing in K-12 schools, a licensed electrician and manager of free construction budgeting, owner and president of electric contract construction industry, a 30-year veteran in the construction industry, 
a selectman and attorney and former warrant committeeman, superintendent of schools, school board member with 25 years of experience in technology and support, a seven-year school board member, five non-voting members with expertise in education, architecture, finance, building schools, and our town administrator. These individuals have spent the past, past four years donating their time for the good of our children and our town. Doris Kearns Goodwin is a noted historian and author of a team of rivals, the story of Abraham Lincoln and how he formed his cabinet with those who opposed him, but he recognized their talents and the contributions they could make. I am voting yes as I too recognize and respect your expertise and experience on which we can rely in making our decision to vote yes at the Wheel of Location. Thank you. Chris Hot, Seven Curve Street. So I have a more of a technical question that I hope that you can cl clarify. You and Tim primarily. We'll do our best. So I'm I'm very confused because when um, when the feasibility study agreement was signed, it basically said that that feasibility study agreement was in effect until the project scope and budget agreement was signed. Um, so the project scope, so, but I'm reading the, the letter that you received from MSCA around approval of the funding. And that, that letter says, once the project funding agreement has been executed by both parties, the town will be eligible to submit requests for reimbursement, blah, blah, blah. Um, the project scope and budget agreement signed by the town and MSCA will form the budget, the, form the basis for the project funding agreement. So it sounds like the project scope, I'm confused about the about the what when when the feasibility study agreement ends, when the project scope and budget agreement begins, and then when the project funding agreement begins. So if you can, it just seems like that there's a little bit of overlap between uh, one and the other, the, the the project scope and the project funding. It's just seems what's confusing me too is that when Hopkinton when their vote failed. That the report from the MSBA actually shows them as getting an extension, even after the failed vote on their on their spreadsheet. And I haven't been able to get clarity on what happened, how, and they were readmitted back in a year and a half to the program. So it just seems like some of these agreements may provide a little bit more flexibility than some of us realize. So I don't know if you have any clarity on that. Um, in terms of Hopkinton, I, we came on. To, I wasn't there, but that came on after. I understand. Yeah, and I don't. I, we we came on board when they did their project. I don't know what happened before with that, Chris. So I can't comment on Hopkinton. Um, the front we the and I'm not really sure what happened. We've had extensions here in Medfield, right? Uh, well, we we extended three times, but there was one. I think one or two formal extensions. You remember it's a two. Okay, thank you, Tom. There were two formal extensions, but we extended um, the first time. Um, was for uh, uh, COVID was first, mm -hmm. and then we extended again on site selection, and then we extended again um, 
this summer just to make sure that we had gotten because of where we were going to fall in terms of the vote. So we wanted to make sure that we had additional time. So there were three total two month requests for a total of a, a six month extension. If I remember that right, Tim? Thank you. That actually doesn't answer my question. <laughs> I, I, I don't. What was your question about the use? The feasibility yeah. study agreement leads to a project scope and budget agreement, which then, assuming the town approves, leads to the project funding. So I guess when does? I guess what I what's what what I'm interested in is a lot of the language even in the from MLCA when it talks about the failed vote. It is not. It doesn't. It's not a. Even though their practice may be that after a failed vote you have to resubmit. But even their legal language does not say that it's that it's a set that it will happen that that you you have to. They their own language actually provides a little bit of flexibility in there. And so what I found interesting is that when Hopkinton failed, they were able to just kind of like pick right up and within about a year and a half and they got in the program and they that school, you know, that went full, you know, speed ahead. So I guess what I'm just saying is, is that it just some of the language in the letter leads you to believe, leads me to believe that there's maybe a little bit more flexibility in there than, than we may realize, I guess, for the MSBA. It's not our language. So I think that's a question for the MSBA. Okay. But I mean, you guys are in business, so I don't know whether you've but seen I, I've never, I've never encountered that. Tim hasn't encountered that scenario. Like we, we weren't involved in Hopkinton when that happened. So I know, I know that we have been told on virtually every, uh, every occasion that I'm aware of that. If you want to go back with a new project, you start with a new statement of interest. Right? So, and I believe, I don't know, Hopkinton ended up with a totally different school. I'd be surprised they didn't start with a new statement of interest, but we weren't around when they made that decision. So, um, but that's how the process works with the right. SBA. Right. But just some of the language just makes, just yeah, seems like, it's hard to tell when one agreement ends and the next one's, and the next one begins. So, so the project. Like yeah. I said, the project scope and budget agreement is an agreement that if the town approves the project, they'll enter into a project funding agreement to give you the grant. And then when does that agreement get signed? Is that public scope and budget? That, the project funding agreement gets signed if the town approves the project. Right, but when, when does the- It would be in November. Project scope and budget agreement's been signed. Yes, it's the project funding agreement would be signed if we approve the project, the project funding agreement, we would, we would start that process in November. When is the project scope and budget agreement signed? Doesn't have to be like duly authorized by somebody or in terms of voted on or it should have been signed. As a project scope and budget agreement that allows you to go to town meeting, right? That's the deal. Yeah, I don't think that's ever been signed. Like it hasn't ever been like a step at a public meeting where it was voted on to be signed. The SBC doesn't vote on No, no, I was talking about our own meeting, our own SBC meeting, our second meeting. It's not part of the we don't we'll sign the document. The school building them. committee does not sign the document. It's signed by the, the selectman, it's signed by the chair of the school committee, and it's signed by the yeah, but it hasn't been signed at a, it hasn't been signed by the uh, have you signed anything? So I haven't <laughs> signed many things. Yeah. I can't tell you everything that I've signed in the last I don't know. It wouldn't have gone past the board without the proper steps being mm -hmm. taken. So. Okay. Um, and then I just have another question. Unless somebody else wants to ask a question, I just have one other question. Yeah, Tara Levetto for the road. Um, again, thank you to all of you for your work and the wonderful teachers that we have here from Dale. But my question is 
I believe at one of the Warrant Committee meetings that the Dale or Dale group presented a proposal that they believe is better than the one that we're voting on on November 7th. <clears throat> and I thought that the Warrant Committee said it would actually be more expensive than our current one. And can you confirm if that's true? Um, so for the most part, I think that, you know, that's really a question for the Warrant Committee. They did a separate analysis than we did. Um, what I know that they did do is they asked us for information for that analysis. And um, one of the um, one of the, the questions was whether or not the SBC had explored the, the possibility of demolishing the entire Dale Street School and building in its place as opposed to an ad reno or as opposed to building new in the field on Dale. And we had. Uh, we looked at a couple of those options, but they were quickly um, eliminated from the early rounds because of the expense involved with them. By basically, you then have to move the entire school into a temporary facility, um, and we've got modular costs that Arrow Street pulled together um, that basically came out to seven or eight million dollars just on temporary facilities. That's a sunk cost that you don't get anything for when the project opens. Um, so we gave those, we gave all that information to. The warrant committee and they did a, a couple of different scenarios on their own and they evaluated that um, we have been asked in the past to uh, opine um, on the disposition of the dale street school um, that's not something for the school building committee but as speaking on behalf of the, the permanent building committee um, we have evaluated that and our belief is that the, the best option um, that we're aware of to date would be to move the Parks and Rec Department into the Dale Street School. So um, at my direction, I asked the architects for the Parks and Rec Feasibility Study uh, to do some analysis on what would be the minimum cost for that. Um, their initial uh, question to the building commissioner didn't give them enough information. So what they looked at was what would be the minimum cost if it was a change in use um, and that I believe they came back with a, a really probably too small a number in my eyes. So, um, but it was uh, less than a million dollars. And then um, subsequent to that, the warrant committee reached out to the building commissioner, as did Parks and Rec, and he, he told them that, it, that he wouldn't consider it a change in use. So what that means is we could actually move them in for zero dollars. However, there is some deferred maintenance and repairs that we would suggest doing. And our um, opinion is that uh, we could use funds that are already part of the tax levy that wouldn't require debt exclusion, including about $600,000 we have left from savings from the public safety building coming in under budget. Um, and we also have the municipal capital building stabilization fund um, that uh, we helped create with Mike Sullivan uh, a few years ago to help address some of these uh, facility needs. So, um, we have a capital plan that includes all of the repairs needed for that building over the coming years. Um, and some of the ones that we've deferred uh, in, the, in the recent past. Um, so they looked at all of that and um, compared that against the possibility of what it would be if we didn't have that school to move Parks and Rec into and what that uh, option would look like. So um, I'd certainly encourage everybody to review it. I think uh, Steve Callahan did a great job in analyzing all the options and um, that is available on their website. On which side is it available on? Because I feel like there's so much, 
One of the things I keep reading on horrible social media is just about the meal plan for Dale Street. And I, from my little bit of knowledge I have, is that you can't have a final plan because it belongs to the school department in order to do this. But is there anywhere where that plan is? Because I think if people knew about it, it might alleviate some of their worries about this building that's beloved and that field being left to the end. Yeah, so I, this is an excellent point. I, I think a lot of people search for certainty. And unfortunately, in this process, there's not a lot of things that are concrete and certain. Um, we have to make major decisions about this project when we're only 25% of the way through design. So um, having, a, I understand the desire to have a clear cut plan with it, everything laid out by the penny. Uh, unfortunately, that's just not the way it works. Uh, I could tell you from the, the planning, uh, permanent planning and building committee side, you know, we see that building as an asset. We see it as a way to solve the parks and rec issue, as well as Medfield Youth Outreach, who also needs space. We can give them a lot more space than they have now at very little cost and actually no increase in taxes um, outside of tax, the tax levy that's already in place. Um, and we can do that, that, that will give them a, a short-term solution until we can get through a little bit more of the other debt that we have, including the DPW, which will start rolling off the books in around 2032. Um, and then the public safety building, which will roll off the books around 2035. So if we can, um, give Parks and Rec a solution, a solution that they've been searching for for nearly 20 years, um, something to give them more space to run more programs. Um, and we can do that for relatively low cost. We see that as a bonus and we can solve two problems with one project. And um, that's the way our thinking is on it. It obviously, we're an advisory group as the, the permanent building committee, we advise the selectmen ultimately um, the the build, current building is under the care, custody, and control of the school committee and the, and the school system. They would need to, in 2024, say, okay, we don't need this building as a school. So we will turn it back over to the town if that were to happen. A lot can change between now and 2024. We could see a huge surge in enrollment, and they could say that we need some, some swing space for memorial which um, you know, is already kind of bursting at the seams a little bit. So they, they may decide say, hey, we need to keep this um, as a school. So some of those decisions just can't be made today. And I understand that that's not clear to people, um, but it's important to understand that we, can, we can't always have every decision certain when we make other decisions. We have to deal with the best information we have at the time. Tara, I think you're also asking where to find some information. Oh, yes. So uh, I just Thank want to you. note that, um, you know, the work committee did an incredible independent deep dive. And if you go to town.medfield.net, you go to the boards, you go to click on work committee, and then on under work committee, you collect, um, click on school project. Or just if you just Google Medfield Warrant Committee, you go to it'll go right, it'll go right there. You yeah, it's, the just, it's, well. it's good to teach people how to find it right. because it's taken me years. Yeah, the school <laughs> website also has it. If you go to www.medfield.net, go to explore new elementary school site, there's a widget there that says Warrant Committee. And you yeah. click right on that and it'll get you right to all the, all the videos there, all the information. But so it's, it's mapped out, it's, it's very well laid out, but then also a great resource 
is Medfield TV, yep. their YouTube channel. And actually the Warrant Committee has a playlist of their deep dive. So that's also another great resource that I encourage people to visit. Absolutely. So um, Chris talks again. So on the, on the cost of the project and the bonding, so at the beginning of this, um, you know, last year, as the prices were coming out and the discussions were being had about uh, the overall project cost, you know, there, the, the comment was made a number of times about the debt rolling off the books in the next two to three years. However, because of interest rates, my understanding is that if we're going to want to bond this as soon as possible, what does that as soon as possible mean? I believe uh, Georgia, our treasurer, um, received a recommendation that we would be bonding in uh, January. Okay. Now I understand that that actually could even be moved into December. That's a possibility. That would be up to the treasurer and the, the selectmen. Okay. It's not my choice. Well, it, it, it's important though to realize that because if they ended up if they end up going out and bonding in December, that that would mean that this cost of this project would start hitting everyone's tax bills in February, 2022. Okay. So which means that the overlap is the overlap in, in, in the debt ends up being over a very long period of time. It's not that we're waiting for this project for the debt to roll off the books. It means that we now have an overlap of significant, we have a school project on top of the last school, school two school projects. We, we've acknowledged that. No, but, we acknowledge the overlap will be a couple of years. It says right on the slide that within within about two years, the debt will be rolling off the books. Right, but it doesn't say when that's yeah. going to start. That's a question for the treasurer. I can't answer that. I don't. I don't authorize borrowing. Right, but but I think that most people do not realize that their tax bills for this project could be hit as early as February. I don't, I don't know if that's accurate. I don't decide when tax bills hit. Uh, you're asking the wrong person. I'm, I'm just saying that I think that that originally, I know when I asked this question at an SBC meeting, and I asked, and Lynn Stapleton answered, I said, when would this, when would the, the at that point in time, we didn't know about the interest rates. So the, the, the timeline has shifted because of interest rates, which is understandable. My understanding is that you, you don't, you don't get a bill within a month or two of borrowing on a bond. I believe it's an annual payment, so it wouldn't be coming. That's my understanding. But again, this is a question for the treasurer. Well, it's not only just a question, it's a question for all the taxpayers. It's for, well, we're going to be going on a make project. A statement, Chris. Can I just finish my question, please? So my question, it, it's the, the question is, when will the taxpayers, the taxpayers are, going, are not going to know what the cost is going to be of this project when we go to vote for this? In terms of when the taxes tax bills are actually going to hit, right? I, I can just address that, please, Mike. Yes, all that is true, right? We don't know exactly the, the first month on the term of the bonds that we're going to have to make pay. So we don't know if it's going to be typically the way our tax bills work is the first two tax bills we get are estimates. You'll see an estimated tax because we vote on the budget at town meeting in May, and the assessors don't set the tax rate until fall. So typically the first two tax bills you get are an estimate, they're usually a little higher. And then the second two tax bills, which are November and February, are the actuals for FY22. So I, I don't know for certain that we won't have to have an increase in February, but I'd be surprised if we did, only because this is the, the appropriation we did last year. 
But I think the reason we'd be going to bid in December or January is because we've concluded that the interest rate environment is much more favorable. Mm -hmm. So while we can certainly get an answer from the treasurer as to exactly with which month the tax bill is going to hit, what we will have is certainty that we're getting a low interest rate in December and January. We really can't predict, even if we were to wait, you know, because one way to do it, and it's been done in the past, and where you sort of crunch it out and you bond the project over the course of a few years as you need the money. Um, all the advice that we've gotten is that we are in a good interest rate environment now. We are unlikely to remain in that good interest rate environment from some point, not so far from now, for some undetermined period of time. So if we are doing it sooner, if it is hitting it in February instead of May or August, it's because the concern is we can get two and a quarter in December or 1.9 or 2.3 or some number that's reasonable then, as opposed to an interest rate that's much higher later. So I, 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 for me, I would rather have a lower interest rate and pay a little sooner, but everyone's got to make their own judgment on that. Can I, can I add one thing so, to that, that? That's why we'd be doing it take advantage of what our advisors have told us that basically they can give us a window until January. They expect that the interest rate environment we've been in, under which we got 1.4% interest rate on the most recent bonding, is likely to remain constant until then. And the reason we'd be doing it in December is because Grab that market. Yeah. And so, I don't, I don't hold disagree hold with the rationale. I don't, I just want to say I don't, I don't disagree with the rationale. Okay. So, uh, and I would also add that the treasurer, and again, this is going a little too far beyond our purview, but the treasurer, just because of the discussions I've been involved in, the treasurer asked our bond advisors not just for a scenario that's an immediate borrowing. They said, what if she was going to look at doing what's called a BAN or a bond anticipation note, which basically would fund the, the early stages of design where costs are relatively low compared to construction where they bump up. And so that would push out a bond until fiscal 2023. And our bond advisors stated that their projection for that would be three and a half percent interest. So it'd be almost double, I'm sorry, almost 50% higher than, um, than the current projection. So these are the reasons why um, the, the our bond advisors are saying to borrow as soon as possible. Right. When yes. when it hits a bill, that's a question for the town. It's not a question for us. Absolutely. But I guess that my 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 concern is is that from the, from at least over a year ago, everyone had been told this will not be as 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 painful because the debt's going to be rolling off the books. And when I asked the estimation at that time was that the payments for this would not start until probably, I think Lynn said 2024. So, so I don't know, I don't remember ever hearing well, that. Well, I'll go back and get the meeting, but all I'm saying is, is that when you're, when, when it was told that the financial impact wouldn't be as painful because the debt would be rolling off the book. And I actually remember at a Warren Committee meeting because I didn't understand it at the time. And I think it was Bob Sliney who said, you know, there's going to be overlap, right? And then, and it was acknowledged that we're going to be overlapped, but not to this extent. Now we're going to have, we're now we're going to have at least an extra statement. year of overlap. Well, that's a lot. That's a lot for some of the, the people in our town to have to have that overlap of two school building projects from before that have well, a whole lot. Year, the last year for the old school building project. Right. But we have not just that, we have the turf field, we have the water treatment plant, we have the school project. Right. We have, the turf field is paid for out of the tax budget. 
And the, and the water treatment plan is out of the, the enterprise fund. Oh. Chris, Chris, we, we get what you're trying to say. We, get, we, we understand. We have looked at the as at how this impacts every everything about where we are from a debt capacity, from a debt exclusion perspective. Um, we have gone through all those numbers with the town. We have acknowledged from the beginning that there would be overlap. I have never once stated there would not be. I said that it would help to be offset as some of that debt rolls off the books. It doesn't roll off all at once, right? Over the, over a couple of years, it begins to reduce. And that's something that I have stated from the beginning and that will help. And I've stated from the beginning that it won't be all of it and it won't even be a significant portion of it as you can see from the numbers um, because it's not the same amount. So what's projected is the, is the top number. Right, because this one right. starts to roll off too. Right. Correct. So if you were to project it out further, what we what we've done with this, the roll-off portion is really just at $117 for ones that are coming off in the next two years. So Correct. But you can look out further, the hospital rolls off in 2025. Each year the public Ready. safety Ready. Down. Yeah. So there's about 70% of the principal in our debt is paid off this is debt. It's paid off from the next 10 years. But we have tried to be, you know, conservative in the sense of Here's what the upfront cost with the top number is. But the way this would be bonded is it's the highest in the first year. It goes down every year after that. So we can get the answer as to when it will be in the bills. I would, I would I, yeah, eventually guess it would be in next year's tax bill because I expect the first payment wouldn't be due. It's usually and semi annually, right. twice a year, or sometimes four times a year, but usually it's kind of where the total bond is. So I suspect that would be in next year's because I don't know if they could change it given the tax rate was set. And, November, but they may be able to reset it for you know, the balance of the And I know that I know that everyone's been putting in a lot of time and effort into trying to figure this all out behind the scenes. I, I, I think what made me more sensitive to it was hearing Gus say that people won't really realize it until they get their tax bills and how this is going to impact them. And so if there's any way to get more information out to to people who are going to be really you know hit by this to the community, you know, people should not be going and voting. On this project without having some of this information to know when this is likely to start hitting. I mean, I know that the selectman, I know you don't have to sign off on the 20 or the 30 year until December 17th or something. Well, it's going to depend on the market, right? right. If there's a huge gap between the two. If, it, if you know, if there's, if there's a 200 basis point difference between a 20 year and a 30 year, we might shift. Mm -hmm. Our consensus has been a 30 year, right? It's a big project and we're spread over time. This generation has had to make up for um, capital investment that happened in the past, and so we have had a disproportionate share of projects in this town over the last 15 to 20 years, just a reality. And so, I think given the size of the project, you know, our consensus has been 30 years is better. We spread it over the pain, people are going to benefit from this building for well more than 30 years. Um, the only thing that can change that is they come to you and say, Look, we can get you, you know, 1.8% on a 20 year or 3.7% on a 30 year, and then. And that that calculus changes, so we can't. I mean, that seems that's unlikely at this point. But in an effort to be right. clear that we, we can't control it, that's when we'll make the decision based on the advisors, uh, the advice from our uh, bond advisor. I mean, I asked Christine for more deeper details on how how all the the because I know that we also uh, it's not really technically refinancing, but I know that we turn back on we we save some money on the bondings, the past bondings. So I just had looked for I asked for an updated sort of report on what that looks like so that people can have a general idea of how this, the whole picture is. And that's what we need. I think people need to see the whole picture. Again, so if I could just go back to my other point is, I know it's great if everything is certain. 
But even the financing is not certain. Even if we approve that the financing, obviously the bond market's going to change and it won't be certain until we, you know, sell the bonds. Um, so for instance, when we went for um, the public safety building, um, we put the same projections we put here, how much it'll cost, they're conservative projections. Um, and then when the bonds went to sale, there was a significant uh, premium associated with it that allowed us a big savings. So um, there's a very real possibility that we could get less than the 2.25%. And those numbers that we showed you could come down. Um, the alternative is true. Um, I think it's unlikely personally, but the alternative could be when we go to market, a 30-year bond, as Mike pointed out, could be up to 3% at that time. That would require a significant gap, but... Um, if we're going to be honest about what the truth is and what people should know is that if this doesn't pass and there's another project and people want to pry, if they want to do something about that school and that project is X years in the distance, right now interest rates seem to be trending up and construction costs are definitely trending up. So we know we're going to spend a lot more money in the distance. That we do know. Right. <laughs> The fact that it seems to be this anticipation that if Park and Rec moves in to Dale Street School, that they will be there for eight years um, based on what Mike said at the senior center. So you're looking at holding on to Dale Street School for eight years and paying deferred maintenance, to pay and paying whatever costs are going to have to come from that eight-year time period in Dale. If Dale Street School can be can be, be alive for eight years. We're going to pay for it. And so that's going to be more money in itself. So, you know, either we have eight years more of Dale Street School being a school, or we have eight years of, of it being used for park and recreation. We're going to be paying for it one way or the other. So, you know, it's going to be expensive one way or the other. No matter what scenario plays out, it's going to be expensive. And you know what? Honestly, I would much rather see a scenario in our town where we have a facility that we all love and believe in our hearts is the best thing for the town. And if it could be a shared multi-use facility where we have a school and park and rent together. There's a lot of synergy with that in terms of the in terms of how they use each other's facilities. Chris, so, there's someone behind you with a question. Okay. I think you've been given ample time. Thank you. First of all, I don't know how the school and parks and rec could have a shared facility considering COVID and when you're going to shut the school down if you want to use Dale and let the parks and rec connect. But the bottom line is this is delay tactics to cause a problem for a perfectly good school at New York. If we don't get it, we've already been told that Jerry Potts was at the, at the meeting where it was explained that the costs would be 20 to 25% more. If you want to hear people about taxes, let's let's let them know that because it will cost you a lot more down the road. This is a very practical, efficient plan that's been done and taken into consideration over 40 years. Please listen to the professionals. Don't insult all of the intelligence that was put into this plan to make this work. Thank you. No, 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 I just need to say something. Chris, I, I, you had your time. A comment asking for clarification on bonding is not insulting professional. 
This is asking for specifics about the tax. I understand that you may disagree with Ms. Scotty. Thank you. Does anyone else have a question? A question, not a statement, a question, Mr. something Pesci that they want clarified. Thank you. Yes, okay. By uh, Mr. Doug Morrison. Can you please talk about the traffic plan? Traffic. So, excellent point. So, um, you know, obviously, when we look at site, and as, as most people will understand, when you're evaluating two options, there's pros and cons to each. There is no site that is perfect. There is no site that is all pros and no cons. There is no site that is all cons and no pros. Um, so when we looked at it, that is the, the, the biggest drawback is an increase to traffic, but it's a drawback that is, um, um, is able to be addressed. And we feel that there are uh, um, mitigation that we can do to help address the trap, the potential increase in traffic on Elm Street. Um, one of the things that was noted is that um, right now between 85 and something percent of our kids, elementary kids, kids take the bus. 80 what? 83. 83 percent of our elementary school kids take the bus. So, and the buses go to that site one way or the other. So there's actually no increase in bus traffic. So we're talking about the 15 percent of students that currently are dropped off by their parents uh, in the morning that would need to be dropped off at uh, Wheelock instead of at uh, Dale. Um, so to us, that's a, that's a number that is easily mitigated. Uh, we are proposing a three-way stop sign at South and Elm um, that would allow the, the north and south traffic on South Street to be stopped to allow Elm Street traffic out um, so that during those pickup and drop-off hours uh, that it doesn't get too backed up down on Elm Street. Um, we uh, also have proposed sort of uh, no, uh, no entry uh, one-way uh, during certain hours unless they're residents. Signs on Knollwood, Cross, and Stephen. Um, this has been done in other towns just to make sure that during those pickup and drop off hours, um, we don't have people cutting through those neighborhoods. Um, we are proposing a uh, restriping of the intersection at South and Elm that would allow for a right turn only on the South and a left turn only on to the South um, to again ease that flow of traffic in, in both directions. Uh, that doesn't require major changes to that intersection other than the restriping. Um, and then we will also be proposing uh, improvements to the intersections uh, and the sidewalks along um, the north side of Elm Street and make sure crosswalks are painted in. School signage, which, which doesn't even exist today, um, school zone, 20 mile an hour limit signage, that type of thing will all be um, part of the program. So, but we do recognize that um, there are uh, people in that neighborhood that will be affected and we will keep them involved throughout the process. I think um, that'll be a big part of our next phase. If this is approved, we will sit down, we will talk about strategies we can use to help mitigate any impacts to that neighborhood. Um, and this is something that um, we've seen successful in the past. We don't think this is a problem without a solution. Lovely, thank you. And we've got one more from Jennifer Sullivan. Dale at Dale keeps alleging that there is a risk to town water. When they met with the um, warrant committee with their with their stormwater expert, were they were they able to clearly state the risk? Um, that would be a question for the warrant committee, but um, or or someone who was present at that meeting. I did I did watch it. Um, I didn't hear anything that came out of that. There were mentions of vacuum pumps, which I don't I didn't understand. Uh, this isn't a lab building. It's an elementary school. Um, 
but to address the water issue, um, I'd ask people just to use their logic. Um, we have our SBC who are residents. Uh, if we were looking to put our water at risk, I, my kids drink that water every day. Would, would that be something that I would want to do? Um, would the board of selectmen want to do that? Would our water and sewer board that is charged with protecting our drinking water, okay that? Um, would all of these people and these professional engineers with decades of experience risk their reputation and their um, professional livelihood to ignore some risk uh, to our drinking water? Um, and if your answer is yes, then vote no. Um, because you basically ignored decades and decades and decades of experience, and you're saying that they're wrong. Um, maybe you Googled an article from 1991. I don't know. But the fact is, our water is not at risk. There's a reason why this is permitted here is because it doesn't put our drinking water at risk. I can't say that strongly enough. Um, watch the Warrant Committee uh, meeting on water. They did their due diligence. They asked the experts. They got the responses that you're all looking for. It's all there on a video. Um, and, um, and then decide for yourself. And another, um, Doug Morrison, what's going to happen to the map building at Wheelock? The current plan is that it stays in place. Um, but I think in the next phases, we would want to engage more with MAP. We have engaged with them a little bit, but really talk about a more comprehensive plan. Right now that has the capacity for the wheelock. We would work with them. Obviously, you know, we've talked about this building having, um, you know, growth built in that won't be realized on day one. So there's definitely, um, um, you know, Jeff has had conversations with them about how they could use the, the, the school for, for MAP programs. Yeah, I mean, um, it makes no sense. Great relationship. For, it makes no sense for kids who, um, are in a four or five building at one side of town, we bust over for math. If we, if we have the space, we just include that program as a part of it. You know, it just, it's just common sense. And, and it's common, uh, a lot of the towns we work with, their after school programs are right in the school that they, that they serve. That is it for Zoom questions. I just I'm hoping that we can clarify exactly what a yes and a no vote means. Um, there's a lot of back and forth on social media, and I just, for me, it's very important that the town really understands what exactly they're voting on. Thank you, Nicole. That's that's an excellent question. Um, obviously, the yes vote is easy, right? We will uh, proceed, and we will build uh, a building for the, the new school um, that will hopefully open in 2024. Um, a no vote could mean a lot of things. Um, a, a, a no vote at town meeting that let's say is close, maybe within a few votes or, or you know, a percentage point or two, we would have to evaluate that. Would there be an option to sway a few voters, hold another uh, town meeting? Um, we would have that option to explore um, within 120 days. Um, and we would need to get, you know, the MSBA, we need to outline our plan for them and how we would achieve that. Um, but it needs to be the same project. It needs to be on the same site. Um, pretty much uh, you could potentially reduce this, the size a little bit or the budget a little bit by cutting some things. 
um, but they would be relatively minor changes to the project, not major changes. Um, but it does need to be the, um, substantially the same project. Um, and then, um, you know, if, if both the town meeting and the ballot vote failed, then obviously um, this town is not ready to support the school, uh, a school project. So we would need to um, evaluate what our options would be in terms of starting from scratch, whether that means um, going at it without, without the MSBA support or filing a new statement of interest to um, get back into the program in, in a few years, hopefully. Um, so those are the options. Um, you know, it's been made pretty clear to us that, uh, you know, if the vote fails that uh, we would have to, with the MSBA, we would have to start uh, the process all over again. Does that answer your question, Nicole? Yeah. Tim, you had a statement. I just want to comment on something that's been brought up a number of times. We, as has been mentioned, we do a lot of school projects. I've never been in the community. We've never worked in a community that has done the work that this warrant committee has done on a project. You know, it's usually one hearing, two hearings, maybe. Um, I think there was a conscious decision on their part to break this down into really discrete parts and that was an enormously time consuming exercise and i know bob's here and, and you know it was a critical part of the analysis that they did and it just it's unusual and it and and it's a great resource i think people should look at those meetings um and and if they want to learn more about it but it's just uh i've i've never seen that level of diligence due diligence done by a finance committee in other towns, so let's congratulate them. For yeah. That. Uh, they, they have done a phenomenal job of really digging into the details. It's taken countless hours of their time, of my time, and I was happy to give it to them because I want them to do that. Every member of this committee wants them to do that. They, we want people to understand what the facts are. Nobody's looking to hide anything here. Any other questions? Um, all right, so um, thank you everybody for coming tonight. This has been a huge, oh, Tracy. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I, you know you can't stop me. Um, I'm Tracy and I'm on the communications committee of uh, the new school. Uh, thank you all for your service. I guess you have to say that. You don't have to. <laughs> yeah, um, as this is the last community forum, I just really, so much work has gone into it and the project is, very exciting. Before you wrap up, if just a few people to the committee could just speak again to the asset that it's going to be to the community, the benefit it's going to have to the students, and not just end. I mean, I know all the things we talked about voting and these um, important things that Chris brings up, the details are all important on the penny, but the overriding reason we're doing this is an asset for the school. So if one or two of you could speak to that, that would be great. And I just want to add, um, that while this is the last community forum, it's not the end to anyone's chance to ask a question. Um, the email is up there. We're going to be manning it 24 7 uh, and uh, answer any questions you have as we go up to the special town meeting on November 7th. But let's end with just maybe uh, that picture of the school and just um, a wrap up of what a great project it is. Thank you. Thanks, Tracy. Um, and I'll, I'll give my thoughts and then I'm certainly open to anyone else sharing from the committee. But, um, 
we're building a school. Okay, so um, I'm going to get a little personal about this. I, I've spent, we've talked about 25 years of my career building buildings. Um, the early part of my career was building hospitals. The latter part of my career has been schools and universities and um, public safety buildings. Um, I've kind of dedicated, and I didn't even know if it was conscious or not, I've kind of dedicated my career to buildings, uh, buildings that help people. Um, originally with buildings that heal, um, and now building buildings that educate, and they educate our young people. Um, to Tracy's point, we can't forget that. This is, this is an opportunity for all of us. There's not a single person up here on this committee that's going to see the benefit of this building, other than what it does for our town. Our kids are past the age. We're not doing this because you know we want our kids to have a brand new school. Um, I didn't get involved with the building committee to um, do what, what I thought was best for me. I did it because I wanted to serve my community and um, provide my expertise as much as I could um, to make sure we were making smart decisions. And here we are building a school that will um, last multiple generations, 50 plus years. Um, and it's, it's for elementary school kids public education, access to um, a good education for, for children that'll be the future leaders of this, this um, crazy country we live in. So um, that's not lost on me and I probably don't speak about it enough, Tracy, so thank you for the reminder, I appreciate that. This building will serve our entire community, not just our kids. Uh, it'll be used after hours for community programs. Um, it'll be used um, you know, for MAP and, and other programs. Uh, hopefully for the youth basketball, since I know they're desperate for court space. So um, we don't see this building as a building just about education. It's primarily about education. We can't lose sight of that, but it's a, it's a building for this community. It's not just, um, it's not just a tax bill. It's not just a, um, a parking space or a, or a um, outdoor classroom. So um, my personal take on it is that, is that uh, I will, always support projects and one of the best projects for this town that help people that serve people educate people um and that's just my personal opinion i don't know if anyone has anything they want to share on that so um when i started getting involved in the town 23 years ago now and was on these projects on the high school and the middle school and i went up to bob mcguire was a superintendent's office the superintendent back then, uh, and he just taken over, actually, he was interim and started this project. And he showed me the plans that he had had some, an architect draft for the new, a new Dale Street School, which was in over at the Wheelock campus. And of course, you know, I, we were focused on this project and didn't really get into any big discussion, but it was something, you know, that he had thought about and, and like, at the time was the school committee was thinking about it as well and what to do about Dale Street School. And, you know, we went and we did these projects and then the town, I think, rightly said, you know, it's time to put some priority on other town uses that needed to be fixed that weren't dealt with, like the police station and the DPW and, and the fire station. And we did that. So the Dale Street School kind of was simmering there as an issue for that long. Um, and then now it came back and it's, and it's in front of us now and we'll be asked to, you know, make a decision on it in the next couple of weeks. I do think people who, and, and I actually think it's great that people question, I don't really get into the, 
this is a panel of experts kind of thing. I mean, we 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 can make mistakes, <laughs> believe me. So I, I think it's more around if you if you think it's that bad, the decisions that have been made, that it's worth not dealing with something that we've been trying to deal with for 20 years and and won't be able to deal with for some piece, some period in the future. I don't, I don't I'm not going to get into speculating, but it's definitely a number of years, even if some other group were to pick up the pick up the gavel and continue on with some other project. And, and cost more money and, and clearly. To me, I think that's a very short-sighted way to look at a town and look at the town's long-term growth. This has been an issue for a long time. And the fact that, and it's a and it's obviously an attractive school, well done. The architects have done a great job with it. Uh, the educators have done a great job in terms of framing it. To me, it's it's short-sighted not to look at this as an opportunity to move forward, something that has been on our priority list for 20 plus years. I think it's say a little something. So, um, as I said at the beginning, I was really hoping my eighth grader would be in this new school. But to, to Mike's point, this is not why we do it, because we are personally benefiting from it. I see my, you know, the new people moving in town, my lovely new neighbors who live across the street, they've got three young children. I want them to have a 21st century school. I want our community to have a 21st century school. I want our teachers to be teaching in a 21st century school. You know, I don't know if you guys got to read um, Richard DeSorger's article in, in the Hometown Weekly today. I highly recommend it. Jeff mentioned it this morning. I said I haven't had time to read it. I read it when I got home and oh my goodness, you know, uh, about in, you know, 1927, like, you know, a teacher or the superintendent talking about with the new school, you know, the, um, the improvement, the, the learning environment improved, um, you know, the, the student outcomes. And it's just, and there was division then. There's division now, but I do believe that our, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm, I'm an optimist, I'm sometimes naive, but I, I, I do believe that we all share a love of community and love of neighbor. I'd like to think that, and um, I'd like to practice that. So, but I do believe this town needs it. And um, the, it has been countless hours, but if we get a new school, it's all the more worth it for our children, the future and for our teachers who, and our principals and our administrators. So um, I'm being preachy right now, but anyways, that's why. Well, can I just real quick? Sure. I so just, just to uh, Tim's point, Tim was the chair of the school committee when, when I was hired in 2000, 2013. Mm -hmm. In 2013. And, um, the district was fresh off that rejection of 2012. And I remember sitting in my office talking to Tim about it and, and getting ready to do an SOI and really excited about it. And Tim just saying, well, you know, we have um, other projects in the town. And I know that you, you're excited, you wanna be a part of this, this, this new project, but we need to take care of other things in the town first. So that's how we went from 2012 to 2016 because we, we viewed it as a town issue in making sure there's public safety and DPW was taken care of as well. It wasn't just, you know, grab what you can for the schools. And that's never been the way we've, we've approached things ever. 
Um, I really uh, yeah, I appreciate that in the town that this is a town that looks at the entire town, whether we're working with the, the finance committee, the warrant committee, or you know, looking at projects, it's looking what's best for the town. Yeah, I'm biased, of course. I want a new school for our kids. Um, I, I probably represent the 2,532 kids that won't be able to vote next on Sunday the 7th. That's what my job is. And I think it's you know really important to, to advocate for that. So some folks may not like that. Too bad. I mean, that, that's what I'm hired for, and that's what I'm doing. And I just hope that we get this project for our kids. So that's a wrap. <laughs> um, it's a lot of fun. I know. I, I, I haven't forgotten about you, Bob. Um, so uh, we're going to wrap up our meeting. Um, but before we do, um, uh, Mr. Sliney from the Warren Committee is just going to say a quick word. Well, oh, thank you. Again, Bob Sliney, I've always been referred to in, in the Warren Committee. Um, but I, I just wanted maybe to, to wrap this up with an advertisement. Uh, there's been a number of references to the Warren Committee website. Um, and it's, it's something that we prepared over the last three months that uh, in the context of our doing our due diligence in a highly complex issue, we wanted to do that in a public forum, gather facts and present it so that the issues surrounding the article will come before that are, are available to the citizens. To make their decision. A number of questions have come out tonight that have been referenced to that website. And a number of questions have come out about issues that we have addressed. Uh, the website addresses the question, where can I go to get the facts without prejudices of opinions? And to provide each citizen the information available to make an informed decision when they voice their position at the town meeting and on the ballot, November 7th and the 15th. There's a Medfield TV message delivered by the chairperson of the Warren Committee, Sharon Catro, that presents the process and outlines the elements of the website. It really is a tutorial that can help you, anyone who is want, has a question, how to work through that website. When you come on, you will see it's very daunting because this is a daunting issue. But that website and Sharon's presentation will walk you through it. And to the point where your specific issue will be highlighted on a three hour meeting, it will take you to the minute of that issue. So if you ask about water, it'll take you to the water committee meeting and then it'll take you to the hour that your question is being addressed. Now for people who, can't manage that, there's paper copies of the minutes of each of those meetings is available at the town hall. So it's meant to give information based on facts. And the input to the Warren Committee, as mentioned before, this doesn't end tonight. The Warren Committee will meet on Tuesday, November 2nd, and the Warren Committee will make its presentation, discussion amongst itselves, and vote on the article. Any questions up to that seven o'clock meeting should be submitted and will be considered. So this will continue and the vote of the Warren Committee, which is our responsibility, 
using the information that's been gathered is available and we're looking for your input and your questions. A number of things that I have written down here have already been discussed, but I, I did go to the Richard disorder in today's midfield hometown weekly. You know, Richard, I, I don't, I almost could get Richard Chupania uh, 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 an amount. Get his history books. It tells you about it now. But this particular article that was pointed out shows that school construction issues going back over 100 years are always expensive, always controversial, always emotional. As I say, the democratic process is messy, but it's worth the effort. And I was paraphrasing Winston Churchill today, one of my heroes, it's imperfect, but better than any alternative. So let's just live with it. Let's enjoy it. Uh, as we prepare for our moment in history, I would suggest we take a moment and read that article to put things in a perspective because sometimes we lack in perspective. With appreciation and gratitude that we have the opportunity to discuss and debate in a civil and respectful manner in a free and open society. That's a gift. Let's, let's preserve it. And in closing, I wanna offer the greatest privilege I've enjoyed in my four years in the Warren Committee to interact with so many fine people, both employees and volunteers who are dedicated to providing the highest level of support and service to the citizens of Medfield in very difficult circumstances. And I'd be remiss if I didn't add that in my experience, none have been more dedicated, hardworking than the people on the school building committee. When you see the volumes of data on the website, it's important to recognize that this is an accumulation of the work of this community committee that's dedicated on behalf of the past three plus years. And now we owe them not only our thanks, but more importantly, our respect. So thank you for your participation in the town legislative process and your engagement in this final step. And thanks for validation. Any of us are in need in our service is your participation on the 7th and the 15th. So thank you for this. Thank you, Bob. See all your faces and many more on November 7th. I need a motion to adjourn. Who's gonna motion to adjourn? Motion to adjourn. Do I have a second? Second. All in favor? Aye. Opposed? Thank you, everyone.